Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Gramier Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at graymere.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Graymere Church of Christ. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9, we're going to be thinking about a lot of different things tonight, but we are going to be reading uh, from John chapter 9. Uh, it has been a busy week for a lot of our Graymere family, and uh, so thankful to hear about the update for the group in Phoenix, Arizona, and just thankful for the work there and the excitement that's a part of that work and that congregation, and especially as uh, they're going through a, a transition that's ultimately going to strengthen the kingdom with a couple of families going to work in Kayenta, uh, it's also going to be a new step forward for the church there, and so we want to continue to pray for them. Uh, also, I mentioned this morning that Lads to Leaders uh, took place this weekend. Thank you so much to all of you uh, who made that possible. Uh, thank you to all of you who gave some food to be in the team pad during the weekend. I can assure you that was greatly appreciated. Uh, so thankful uh, for that. Thankful again for the Lawsons in it's really a year-round effort to get that coordinated and to stay on top of that. Uh, and because we had that going on, we had a great egg hunt after our worship and Bible class this morning. Uh, it looked like everybody left with plenty of eggs and plenty of candy, and so uh, I think they had a great time. Uh, we have the children with us tonight, and so I wanted to just do this. If you were part of Lads to Leaders, if you participated in Lads to Leaders, if you would just raise your hand so we can see just if you look around we've got a lot of hands raised and uh, thank you very much for raising your hand you did a wonderful job at lads to leaders and i know you're going to want to tell them uh, how much you appreciate them uh, and how thankful you are uh, and uh, one of the ways that we're going to benefit from that it's already happened for our ladies in the ladies class uh, last week they were able to hear some of the lessons and and sing with some of our young ladies. And for our young men, next Sunday, uh, we will be meeting in the fellowship hall, and we will get to hear from our young men uh, who will be leading us in singing and reading scripture uh, and uh, in sharing their speeches with us that they did. And uh, we have a great group, uh, and we especially had a great younger group. Uh, when it came to the K through second grade song leading, as they were uh, putting that together, they had the largest K through second grade song leading group that they'd had. I, I want to say that overall, uh, I remember hearing the number like 350, somewhere around there, of K through second grade young men that were leading singing because this was from the, the, the person in charge of that particular area. So we had K through second grade boys leading singing. And when you went to uh, see where the rooms were, there was one room dedicated just to Graymere because we had a lot of them in there. And so we got to go in there and see that. And we had young ladies that were doing an excellent job in, in singing and speaking as well. And so it just was exciting all the way around. Uh, and so, so thankful for everybody uh, who was a part of that and look forward to, uh, to continuing to be encouraged by that. Uh, tonight we're going to do something a little different. I mentioned I'm going to share with you some of uh, the things that we got to see and take pictures of on a recent trip to Israel. I have to tell you, before any time like this, 
I think back to something that took place, uh, I guess when I was about two or three years uh, out of college, we were living in Mount Juliet and putting together vacation Bible school. And uh, I had, uh, uh, when I look back uh, at, at my time, I, I had a lot of great ideas for vacation Bible school. And then you see kind of how it works out. Sometimes it doesn't go the way you have planned. One of those was I'd invited a gentleman who'd been to Israel before to come and to, uh, we were studying Jesus in the boat with his disciples. And so he was going to show some pictures of the Jesus boat. If you go to Tiberias, you can go into a museum in the Galilee area and show you some Jesus, the Jesus boat. And he told me, I've got a lot of pictures. And we needed about kind of a 10-minute segment, a station, where he could show some of those pictures. I said, that's great. And we got it set up. But I didn't realize that it had been a while since he got those pictures. And so he had the pictures in a, uh, a carousel of slides. Uh, and this is in 2006 or so. And so uh, he's got it set up, and he's got all the, the equipment set up. And uh, so we're, we're there, and everything's looking okay. And uh, again, for, uh, for children, it's kind of like Charlie mentioned this morning, you may have to do some research to find out what a carousel of slides look like, where you're clicking to the next one and clicking to the next one. And uh, as you know, uh, children often tell you exactly what they're thinking, uh, usually exactly when they're thinking it. And so the first group walked in, and a little boy looked at that, and he said, oh, great, this is going to be boring. And he went and sat down. And the, the, the individual doing it handled it very well. He laughed and, and played along with it. But, uh, you know, I always have that little tinge of, okay, if we start showing a slideshow, oh, great, this is going to be boring. And I don't want it to be that way, but what I'd like to do is just tell you a little about it in hopes that it can strengthen our faith, that we can leave here today uh, confirming what we know to be true in Scripture, uh, but that what we have in God's Word, one of the distinctive parts of our faith is that it runs up against history, historical events, historical people, that there are places that we read about in Scripture that you can go and see where those places exist. This is not myth. This is not something that just gets handed down. Uh, this is reality. And so I want to share some pictures. We have our group here uh, my father has led several trips, and so I was uh, really assisting him on this one. And this is uh, on Sunday when we were worshiping with the church there in Nazareth. Some of you who have been to Israel have worshiped with this congregation uh, in Nazareth. Uh, we had a few from Graymere that were there, Hugh and Bonnie Langley, as well as Mike Gilchrist. Uh, Susan McMillan was also with us, uh, and several, those close to several people here at Graymere. Uh, and then a couple of young men that grew up here, uh, David Langley and Jack Gilchrist, uh, and then Jack's father-in-law, Phil Greer, which I didn't find out until later, is also related to Sean Butterfield. And so uh, it does, you, wherever you go, you can find some, some connections. Uh, but they were with us. We also had folks from Texas, some from Kansas City, some from Germantown, uh, Tennessee, that were all with us. And so that was... Uh, a, a great time to get to worship together. So here is our crew, and this will be sort of in the order of uh, where we visited them, although uh, things, my notes and memory gets a little hazy, so it might not be quite chronological order. Uh, but the first place we went, our first morning we were there after we got in, was Caesarea Maritima, which means Caesarea by the sea. Uh, in the New Testament, we have Caesarea Philippi, which we went to later. Caesarea Maritima, uh, is a place in where Herod built his palace 
by the sea. This is the amphitheater there, and uh, we actually went, a group of us went down to the base of that, and just three of us uh, stood together, and our, our guide was a wonderful uh, guide named Murad, and he had a, a habit of uh, giving us jobs that we didn't know about beforehand, and so he said, okay, you three, you go down there and sing us a song, and so we went down there, and we, we sang a little bit, uh, but even with people milling around, you could be up at the top, and you could hear uh, things that were going on right in the middle. It's just that amphitheater design is really neat. But Herod had a palace at Caesarea Maritima with a promontory that extended out over the water. And so you can kind of see the remains of this. Uh, and there's remains of the harbor you could also look at. Uh, they have uncovered the fact that they believed uh, that he had essentially kind of uh, in this promontory point what amounted to like an, an indoor pool almost that he had to himself. Uh, Herod was a, a builder, and as our guide reminded us, we call him Herod the Great, not because he was a great person, but he was a great builder. And a lot of the places that you see over there uh, are a result of Herod's building. Uh, one of the things that was interesting is this excavation they're currently doing over an area uh, that seems to be the remains of a prison at Caesarea Maritima. Now, it's interesting because uh, we know from reading Acts that Paul is imprisoned at Caesarea uh, for a time. And so, uh, again, there were certain areas that, uh, that you go, and, and there are some people will say, this is the place where this happened. Uh, and there are some areas that you might go and say, you know, it's probably more accurate for us to say this is a great representation of what the place would have looked like. And we're in the area where it happened, but we can't say for sure. Uh, but this does give us an insight as to what that could have uh, looked like uh, in sort of a, a prison cell. It was interesting that I, as I was talking to our guide, I said, now, when did they uncover this? And he said, about a couple of months ago. Uh, there's excavation that's taking place uh, a lot that uh, they had known about the site but hadn't gotten to digging uh, in this particular area uh, until just a couple of months uh, ago. Uh, and then you continue to walk into the Hippodrome uh, area where they would have races, where they would have horse uh, races and people, you can imagine people sitting in the stands. Uh, this gets us to uh, a series of photos that uh, I told Jack I would share this with you. But if you knew Jack Gilchrist growing up, I thought you would appreciate. I, I took several shots of him uh, trying to go places that signs said you weren't supposed to go. And so uh, this is one of those. They had some kind of a horse and chariot thing here that he was trying to get on while the sign, uh, even if you can't read what it says, the picture with the big red uh, line through it tells you you're probably not supposed to do that. So I told Jack, I said, I need to just get a series of these. So then he just started posing every time he saw me looking. And so we'll see a few more of those. And I told him that his, his church family from growing up would appreciate it. Uh, we later went to the area. Mount Carmel is a, a range of mountains, but there's uh, one particular area uh, where the site of Elijah's face-off with the prophets of uh, Baal is remembered. Uh, and so you think about what took place on Mount Carmel. There's a statue uh, there. Uh, and then the view from Mount Carmel. Uh, again, you've got modern streets and cars. Uh, but just imagine how exhausted he would have been after everything that takes place on Mount Carmel, then runs down uh, the mountain there. 
Uh, we did. We were able to sort of duck in and to read that particular passage uh, on uh, that particular place, and so that was powerful uh, to reflect on, powerful to think about, uh, and to remember. Uh, we also went to Megiddo. Uh, when you think about the Battle of Armageddon and the, the biblical site of Megiddo is a place where there were a lot of battles uh, that happened. One of the reasons is because of location. You start going to some of these sites uh, and you realize that location, it's, it's important, pretty important in real estate today. It was very important in where cities were located. And so when someone would destroy a city, they would just build their city on top of that city. And so you had people who were fighting for specific areas. Uh, and, and Megiddo is one of those. We looked around and, uh, and they did tell me uh, that as we go through, you could see evidence of uh, where they had their structures, where they had bins, where they would have grain storage, where they would have uh, water systems, uh, all the, the elements of daily life uh, as, uh, as you think of kind of looking down into uh, that vat uh, storage area, uh, but also had some ancient uh, or some feeding troughs, essentially what a manger would look like. I don't, I don't remember picturing a manger looking like this, uh, when I was growing up, but they have this sort of set out so you can imagine uh, this is not very glamorous uh, when you think about uh, how a manger would appear. And right after we looked at the manger, they told us we were going to go look at the water system for Megiddo. And as soon as I turned around, the first thing I saw was this. And I was like, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and took that picture and showed it probably to everyone on our trip. And I, when I found a joke like that, I just shared it with everybody. Uh, and they all politely laughed, and so I appreciated that. Uh, and you, you all know what politely laughing at my jokes is like, so I thank you for that too. But you, we did actually get to go down, and you get to see uh, just the depths of what was done in places like this. Uh, and we kind of got to go in underground, see uh, the way in which uh, the water came in. Then we went to the Sea of Galilee. When I was growing up, I thought about the sea, and I pictured something that looked more like an ocean, uh, and this would be described as, uh, we might say it's a lake, but you still have the Sea of Galilee uh, there. One of Dad's favorite expressions throughout the trip was, uh, this is not like the Sea of Galilee, this is the Sea of Galilee, and it was just a way of reminding us that we were here. Uh, there are a lot of places you go and someone says, well, this happened on this side or this happened on this side. You could get out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and you could look around and you could know that it was somewhere around here. I mean, we're pretty close uh, to where that would have been. And we got to go out on a boat. I think I've shown this one before. This is one of my favorite pictures. I have a devotional on the, the boat. And so Jack was uh, holding a, the microphone for Mike. It's kind of, it's windy out there, so he, he needed to be able to hold the pages down, and I just thought that was a pretty special picture. Uh, and then Jack's father-in-law, Phil Greer, uh, shared a devotional thought with us on the Sea of Galilee. He had just concluded 50 years of preaching, and his family and his church family sent him on this trip uh, as a thank you for 50 years of preaching. And so that was a, a powerful thing. I also, uh, as I admitted, I think a couple of weeks ago, I did uh, opened my eyes to take a picture during a prayer that Hugh led. I just thought, this is too good a picture. I, I didn't stop listening. I just took a quick picture of him. Uh, but he's leading a, a prayer for us here on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's 
It's powerful, of course, to reflect on everything that took place uh, when we consider this body of water. Uh, and it was powerful to, uh, to just be there and to be reminded of that and how quickly uh, storms can kick up there uh, in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, from there, we went to the northwestern shore to Capernaum. Uh, and uh, it's uh, not mentioned at all in the Old Testament, but it's found several times in the New Testament. Uh, through some discoveries of coins and other things, they've discovered that it was an important area specifically of, of trade and for, for taxes. It was located on the, the Via Maris, the way of the sea, and so that indicates that there was probably uh, some taxation and customs that took place there. Uh, and so when you go through the ruins of Capernaum, you can see a lot of the basalt uh, kind of uh, ruins right there, and that gives us a sense of uh, what the dwellings would have looked like. Now, when you go to Capernaum, they have a house that they have designated uh, as the house that we see uh, uh, described of, of Peter and his mother-in-law and, and Capernaum and their home, you know, and, th and there's a home where this, you know, they believe uh, that healings took place, but it could really be any home in Capernaum uh, because of, of the way in which it was set up there. You've also got uh, the synagogue here that is built on the basalt foundation, that darker stone, and then you had, I think it was a fourth century synagogue that was built on the remains of uh, what's called the synagogue of Jesus or the, the first century. And so you, you get a sense, even as you walk through that synagogue uh, remains area, uh, it wasn't from the time of Jesus, but it kind of gives you that sense of what a synagogue would have looked like. Uh, but again, if you think about what it's like to live in a small town, I think estimates were in the time of Jesus there would have been maybe 1,500 people living in Capernaum. Uh, these were their uh, dwellings, so you're not going to keep a lot of secrets from your neighbors uh, everybody's there. They're on top of each other, uh, trying to imagine people getting through to get a paralyzed man to Jesus and trying to get through the roof uh, was interesting. There, you can see that each one of these, you can see the numbers there as they're uh, trying to catalog and, uh, and do research in each of these places. Uh, and so uh, you can continue. I'm just trying to give us an idea of what all of these uh, ruins would have looked like, kind of to visualize what life would have been like. Uh, we went there from the place called the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, it's, it's where the Sermon on the Mount is kind of remembered. Uh, and so uh, David Langley read the Beatitudes uh, for us as uh, we found a spot. Uh, we were able to, uh, some of these places, you're able to go and have devotionals. And it was hard to find a spot because things were crowded. And there were a lot of people there. But we were able to have a, a short devotional there. Uh, and then you can kind of see the view from that area, uh, from the Mount of Beatitudes. There's uh, something powerful about uh, remembering uh, the Sermon on the Mount right there. And they had these uh, places where they were growing. And I believe, if I remember right, and I think I'm looking closer, uh, one of the times we saw these, uh, the netting out there for these crops were growing bananas. Uh, but they would grow, be growing different things around there, and they're trying to uh, protect it from the elements and keep the, uh, the humidity just where it needs to be. Uh, this is the Jordan River. Uh, this is not uh, the Jordan River we might imagine in the flood stages uh, that we read about in Joshua. 
uh, because they're like much like the Dead Sea, there have been a lot of uh, ways in which that water's been drained off. It's not as as big a body of water as it once was, uh, but you can still go there and you can kind of uh, wade down in that water and you can see the, the the big catfish there. I didn't see any catfish as big as the ones we saw last time, but uh, uh, you can tell it's not a crystal clear uh, river here, uh, but it does sort of help us visualize a lot of these moments that took place at the Jordan. And so that was a, a powerful thing. Uh, Phil Greer shared with me that uh, his mother had gone on a trip there, and they have bottles. You can get uh, bottles there and empty bottles and go in and, uh, and scoop up water from the Jordan River. They'll sell you bottles that say they have water from the Jordan River in it, and you can know that you bought it there, but if you really want that water, you go down there. He said his mother did that and brought back with him a small bottle of Jordan River water, and he kept it in his office until he found some things growing in there. And he said, you know, maybe it's time uh, to, to move on. So again, you can imagine that uh, taking place. Uh, we then went, as, uh, as we went on to uh, one of, I guess, the more extensive uh, ruins uh, of cities that you can find in uh, Beit Shan, where you can see a lot of the architecture we expect in ancient cities with like the columns that are there. Uh, you can walk through and just see how it would have been uh, laid out. It gives you really a lot of insight into that uh, particular era. And so this, again, you've got another amphitheater here uh, that you can walk through and see. Uh, as, as we walked through there and sort of thought about uh, just the, the life of a city, it just reminded me of how different uh, and probably more advanced in a lot of ways uh, that the world was even in the first century uh, than we often consider. Uh, one of the places we were able to go that we didn't realize beforehand we would be uh, is Magdala. Uh, one of the things that happens when you try to build a new property uh, in Israel is you have to do some excavation beforehand. And so there was a hotel that was going to be built in Magdala, and they had to do some excavation, and they found some ruins. Uh, so, as you can imagine, they didn't stop building the hotel. <laughs> They've just incorporated the hotel into some of the ruins uh, that you can see here. And so when we think about Magdala being, uh, we usually associate, obviously, uh, Mary Magdalene there, uh, they had some synagogue ruins that you could, uh, that you could see kind of on display. And this is not an original box that would have held the Torah. They had what they've discovered on display somewhere else, but it's placed there so you can kind of imagine what it would have been like. Uh, and a lot of these places have churches that have been built over them, and this was no exception. Uh, and it had a, uh, a, a boat at the front, and then you can see uh, the Sea of Galilee and the backdrop. Uh, I can't imagine if you have a a pulpit that is a, a boat. I don't know if you can see the microphone right there. If you get on the boat to preach, uh, I just can't imagine anyone paying attention if you can see the Sea of Galilee uh, behind you. Uh, and uh, those of you who have been here at VBS when we did the boat race, um, now we know that it's not only in America. They have boat races at the front of the, the auditorium. Uh, then we went to the next day to uh, tell Dan uh, and the tell is a term just used to describe a, a place where archaeology work is being done, archaeological work. And so they had uh, sort of reconstructions of what they've discovered, of what it would be like if you're sitting at maybe the gates, what that would look like. 
in, in Dan, uh, if they've sort of said, here's what a high place, some of the high places or an altar might have, have looked something like that. Uh, and they also have done some excavation and, and reconstruction uh, there of uh, Jeroboam's temple uh, and where Jeroboam would have uh, had worship uh, in Dan. You can see here, too, uh, with, there were a lot of groups that were on tour, and this was a group that was celebrating someone's 50th birthday, and they all had, there were at least 50 of them, and they all had shirts that said uh, their preacher was turning 50, and then he had one that said he was 50. And we ran into them a lot of places, but that's them uh, there. So if, you're, if, if they show up in other pictures, uh, uh, I'd, yeah, I didn't want to ask them to get out of the way while I took a picture of this. But uh, there's just something powerful here. You've got kind of a reconstruction of the altar. You have the four horns of what an altar would look like if it were placed right there. Uh, and again, here's uh, Jack. He's found uh, the, I guess, what used to be a, a drainage area around there that he's exploring. Uh, I don't think you're supposed to be there, and I think there's Mike saying, Jack, I'm not sure you're supposed to be there. And so uh, I, I captured that one too, father and son bonding moment. Um, we also have, uh, there's a Middle Bronze Age gate there called the Gate of Abraham uh, that's uh, a pretty incredible uh, thing to, uh, to look at and really is sort of the highlight of the, the trip in Dan. Uh, then we went to Caesarea Philippi, and I've shown uh, pictures of this before. This is where Jesus has the good confession from Peter. He says, on this rock I will build my church. And if you look at this rock outcropping here, you can understand uh, why Jesus would have used that imagery. Uh, and so that, that helps me at least picture what's happening uh, when Jesus is here. He takes them to a place that would have been a, a pretty good journey away from where they were. But this was a significant area. Uh, this was where there were some altars. You can see here uh, areas to worships of, uh, of Pan, P-A-N, a, a god of kind of the the nymphs you would think of, a, a flute playing. Uh, and not only was, were there altars there to Pan, but you also had uh, it named after Caesar, and Herod had built a palace there. So you have worship to this god. You had people who were honoring Caesar, and you had Herod, and Jesus takes the apostles there, and he says, who do you say that I am? And on this rock, on the facts that he is the son of God, I will build my church. Uh, and so I, anyway, I just, I think that's a, a pretty powerful uh, image for us to hold on to. Uh, and then you have kind of a more close up of what these altars carved in there would have looked like. Uh, we did have a devotional at Caesarea Philippi, uh, and Jack was sharing thoughts with us. Uh, we also sang, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, at Caesarea Philippi. So a uh, pretty special moment there. Uh, and then we continued uh, to uh, other places, and I know a lot of these are going to look very similar. Uh, and so I, I'll, I won't spend too much time, but some places like uh, even Hazor, where we got to see uh, a reconstruction of an uh, olive oil press, an oil press here. Uh, and so that was uh, pretty powerful to get some good uh, images, get, get some good uh, pictures for uh, VBS decorations, right? To know what, what did that look like. Uh, and then, of course, here's Jack climbing when uh, the sign says no climbing. Uh, 
so uh, uh, we were also able, the only day that we really had to grapple with the rain, we went to a place called Sepphoris. The reason we went to Sepphoris is because it's so close to Nazareth, and Jesus, uh, growing up in a household of carpentry and stonemasonry, at the time, Nazareth is very small. And so it's highly unlikely that Joseph would have been able to do a lot of work in Nazareth, but it's very likely that they walked over to Sepphoris to do a lot of the building, the extensive building uh, that we see. And this is another area where there's more work being done. Uh, and even since the last time I'd been, there's more that's been uncovered. And so when you walk on these roads, uh, this is one of those places where you can, just, you can just almost be sure that these were roads that Jesus would have walked um, because of all the work that's being done. You have some of the mosaics they've discovered like this. Some they discover and then some they kind of recreate and try to restore to give you an idea of what they look like. That was in the morning, and then we went to worship with the church at Nazareth. Uh, I mentioned that uh, this church is predominantly made up of Arabic Christians, and so you can see in their songbooks, uh, we sang the songs uh, that were on the left side, and they sang uh, songs over here, obviously on the right side. Of course, uh, we read left to right, so that's kind of natural for us, and then right to left uh, would be natural for them. So you can see that, that connection there. Uh, and uh, it's pretty neat to, to get to listen to Dad preach uh, while Maurice, their preacher, uh, translated for him. Uh, their family has been there a long time. They've had one child that graduated from Harding and one child that graduated from Fried Hardeman uh, that uh, are, are both there. And so they're, they're working with the church there. And we got a chance to visit with them for a while afterwards. Uh, they had a big meal for us. And so uh, that was a great a way for us to be together, and I was looking, and I think I was just so into the meal that I didn't take a good picture of everybody, but it had been a long morning, and I was, I remember being pretty hungry, and the food was good, uh, but they, they took care of us, and so uh, even though this took a good chunk of time, and it's always a race against time in these trips, uh, this was worth it, uh, and I know we're not always able to worship with Christians when we go other places, but this uh, was a powerful time us to be together. Uh, we then went to the side of Jericho. Again, they're doing more excavation there, uh, and you can see sort of the view from uh, getting up to the top of that site in Jericho. Uh, we also uh, passed a, a, in, the, in the bus. He pointed and said, hey, there's a sycamore tree, and so I got a quick picture as our bus passed by uh, just to give some of context to what we think about when we think about the sycamore tree. We also spent some time at Masada, again, built by Herod. Uh, this was a place where uh, the, during the conflict between Romans and the Jews, the Jews were hiding out, and there are different stories of how that worked out. Uh, but it's quite an imposing area. You can see some of the, uh, the remains that have been uncovered and some of the uh, walls of these different rooms. And when you would go through, you would see... An, an area highlighting, okay, what's below would have been the remains, and then they've tried to reconstruct what it might have looked like. Uh, so there's some reconstruction that's involved with this as well. But as you can see, it's, again, an imposing uh, figure. This was, we, we took, we could have hiked up, but we took a cable car uh, to get to the top. Uh, and again, it's just a, a powerful image. You kind of see what it would look like from the top, uh, looking over. 
Uh, and uh, again, just a powerful thing. This was kind of interesting. A lot of the places we went, uh, it was like going to a national park. This was kind of on the side of the road, but this is the Valley of Elah. And so we got to go here and kind of look over, imagine what the fight with David and Goliath would have been like to read the text, uh, and then to try to picture Israel on one hill and the Philistines on the other, and David going down. Um, and so that was, uh, again, a powerful place. Uh, when we went to Bethlehem, uh, we looked in. This is a, a cave of the shepherds there, but it gives us a sense. There were a lot in Bethlehem that lived in, in caves. That was not uncommon. And so you get kind of a picture here, and they've got uh, sort of an, uh, a setup of here's the interior of the home and what it would have looked like. Uh, and so that is kind of an interesting visual to picture uh, Bethlehem. Of course, uh, Bethlehem is the place of the Church of the Nativity where they believe uh, the, in this spot that Jesus was born. And there's a, a church that's built up around it. And so I took a picture of, uh, of the spot there. Uh, but as you can imagine, there's a lot of ornate uh, building that's gone on around that area. This is the Herodian, uh, again, Herod's place of burial that he had built. Uh, and uh, Herod is a great builder. Another amphitheater there in the Herodium is a pretty powerful place. And then you've got uh, Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Uh, so you look at these caves and picture a shepherd throwing a rock into a cave and hearing something crack, and that was a jar. And all of a sudden inside this jar, uh, he has scrolls of, among other things, uh, books of the Old Testament. And so that was a, a neat place to visit. This is a ritual bath. Uh, those who lived in this Qumran community, uh, they would make sure they were ceremonially clean before they did anything. And these ritual baths were in a lot of places uh, in the first century, a lot of these towns. Uh, if we wonder where baptisms took place, I think uh, one of the ways that could have happened is in these ritual baths. They were essentially designed for immersion anyway, but now they would be used for immersion into, uh, into Christ. And so, again, that's just kind of a neat picture of what one would have looked like. And as we think about caves, another place we went was uh, Ingedi. Uh, and uh, uh, Ingedi gives us some pictures of the caves, what they would have looked like when David is hiding from Saul. And so, again, they, they believe you can hike right to the exact cave where that took place. Uh, I don't know that that's true, but I do know that the caves we saw there uh, gave us a very good visual of what David and his men were doing uh, as they were hiding there. Uh, and that's kind of a closer up version. Uh, and there's a couple of guys you may recognize here hiking up to the top. That was just a good picture. I had to include that one. Uh, it was also interesting. We saw an animal there. Uh, and this one kind of followed me around for a little bit. Uh, but it's referred to in Scripture as a rock badger. I think the, Old Test the, uh, the King James Version referred to it as a, as a coney described in Proverbs. It's one of those animals uh, that gets described as, you know, considering the ant and, and things that we know about. So the, the ant and, and the lizard. But then you would read a coney or a rock badger and, you know, you wonder, what, what is that? Well, this is what one of them looks like. Uh, and so we saw signs for them there at Engedi, and it was pretty neat that we had some that uh, uh, are apparently kind of like the, uh, the, the squirrels in the park that are used to people, so they don't mind coming up to you. 
Uh, and so we got to get some close-up pictures. On the road, we would see hills where you would have uh, sheep and uh, people taking care of the sheep. I, I didn't get great pictures, but you can sort of imagine this. Uh, I'll never read a cattle on a thousand hills phrase the same way after driving through these hills and seeing that's where they're, is, they're not smooth pastures. They're there on the hills. And so that was uh, interesting. We finally got to Jerusalem. Uh, and so this is the, the picture, kind of the classic Jerusalem picture. Uh, you can see the Dome of the Rock, which is the uh, Muslim mosque that is now on uh, the Temple Mount site. Uh, we were not able to visit the Temple Mount. The day we had scheduled to visit the Temple Mount was the first day of Ramadan. Uh, and since that is a site that is uh, under Muslim control, there were going to be a lot of people there on that first day of Ramadan, and it just wasn't possible for us to uh, see the temple site itself. Uh, this is where, if you go by the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you can look in uh, and, uh, and see what took place. But this particular entrance is right by a lot of traffic. It's very kind of noisy. Uh, we were able to go in later to another part uh, that's a little more private and have a devotional uh, in Gethsemane. Uh, but again, just, just being there uh, you know, and sometimes they'll say these trees were alive during the first century. And I don't think the, the trees, the same trees were, but, you know, you've got the seeds and the sprouting and this is what it could have looked like. And so uh, it's, it's really sort of a, meaning, a meaningful place to be. Uh, this is the uh, view of Jerusalem from the church of uh, St. Peter. And I want to make sure that I get this last part right. Uh, the church of uh, St. Peter Gallicantu. Uh, it's a, a church that commemorates Peter uh, and his denial of Jesus when the rooster crows. Uh, and so there's the weather vane there. You can see the rooster uh, at the top uh, of this church building. Uh, here we have, and we're getting towards, we're coming to the, towards the finish line here, but uh, here we have the Pool of Siloam. This was really neat. They're doing more excavation uh, around the Pool of Siloam. So this was new. Uh, they, they had known the location of at least where the upper and lower pools of Siloam were, but now they've started, I think in January of this year, an extensive uh, excavation. And so that was right in the middle of taking place. Uh, and uh, as you walked through that area, they had a reconstruction uh, of what a marketplace would have looked like. And so, uh, again, if you're wondering, what can I do to really help with Vacation Bible School this year? If you could figure out how to replicate this, man, that would be perfect. I'm just telling, I'm just going to plant that idea. Uh, and I've got the pictures for you if you want them. But one of the things they've also uncovered, and this was pretty exciting, are stairs uh, that would have taken place from the Pool of Siloam that you would have followed to get up to the temple. And you have kind of a reconstruction. Here's what they believe it would have looked like. And then they're doing work and trying to uncover some of these so we walked up a couple of those steps. Again, you're looking for places that would have been walked during the time of Jesus. Uh, and so it was just powerful uh, to consider that. We did spend some time at the Western Wall, what's commonly called the Wailing Wall. Uh, and that was about as close to the Temple Mount area as we could get. Uh, you can see the size of the stones even here that are being built. Uh, when you go down below to the retaining wall, look at the stonework here. Uh, and our guide was very tall, and uh, you could see how many people would have to stand across. I forget how many we stood 
across to touch hands to see how wide that stonework was uh, and the foundation of this retaining wall. Uh, that's the level of building that went into what was happening. And so when you think about the passages of Scripture where they're impressed by Herod's, uh, by the, uh, the temple there, that they're, they're seeing, well, look at all everything that's happened and all that's been added to this temple. Well, that's the kind of stonework that would have been impressive. And so for Jesus to predict that the temple would have been destroyed, uh, again, would have been hard for them to understand. Uh, we also saw a, a fig tree in one of the gardens that we went to. Uh, and this is the picture I used this morning. Uh, this is a, the garden tomb, uh, a, a tomb that gives us at least a visual of what the tomb of Jesus would have looked like when it was empty. Uh, again, there are more places that we went, and I, I could spend a lot of time talking with, with you about each of these uh, pictures, but I thought this would be helpful for us. Uh, I want us to think back to the Pool of Siloam uh, for just a moment, because it's in John chapter 9 when you have a man who was born blind, uh, and he is healed by Jesus, uh, and what Jesus tells him to do is to go to the Pool of Siloam, uh, and he went away, verse 7, and washed and came back seeing. And then as he goes through all of this, Jesus is uh, encountered by religious leaders who are upset. Uh, they're upset that this man is claiming that Jesus healed him. The man who was born blind, his parents don't help him at all. They just sort of leave him to fend for himself. And so then you have this contrast between a man who's had his eyes open to who Jesus is and these religious leaders and Jesus says to them at the end, as they're talking to him of the chapter, verse 40, they say, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. In other words, they claim to see. They couldn't admit that there was a blindness there. They couldn't admit that there was something in their way. And because of that, that's what was standing in their way of dealing with their sin and of coming to Jesus. As we think about all of these pictures and all of these places, I'm reminded that more important than any fact we might know about any of these places is knowing the facts about how to deal with, how to address our sin. And that could only come through coming to Christ. And so if tonight you need to make that decision to come to Jesus, to our Savior who went to a real place with real people, a real world, and shared a real message about a real God that we served, if you need to do that tonight, it's a wonderful time uh, to do that. He gave the man born blind instructions to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash there. Scripture gives us instructions how to become a child of God. We'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to assist you in making that happen and putting Christ on in baptism. And maybe there's something we can pray for or another way we can help you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know as we stand and as we sing together and as we